Welcome to 2019. We are kicking off a new series today, and it's from one of my favorite books of the Bible. And so we, as we go into this, this new series, this new book of the Bible, and we're going to take a couple months to work our way through this, kind of like we did Luke. You guys were here with us for those 17 years in that series. It's not going to be quite that long. But um, the, the book of James, it's one of my favorites. And we're going to look at James today and who he is and, and what he's writing about. But this book has always been a favorite of mine. In fact, James 4 was the first sermon I ever preached in 1994 to the Church at Carbondale Youth Group. And, and, I, and this is going to be about the same quality today. So just buckle up. It's going to be a lot of fun for all of us. And, and to really let you know that I'm, I'm going to speak well, I'm going to use another preacher who's famous to let us all know it's going to go okay, all right? Let's hear from uh, Francis Chan about, about James. The book of James is challenging. It's inspiring. It tells us to take our faith that we say we have and put it into action. Again, it's an amazing book. And to kick it all off, we're going to start with one verse. And I know what you're thinking. If we're starting with one verse on week one, this is going to be a long series, and you're not too far off. It's, it's going to be good. Have no fear. We're kicking off this with one verse, but we're going to get in a groove and keep moving. Um, but this first verse is James 1.1. It simply goes like this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Now, that's, that's how he starts it. And the reason they start it like that is because back then they would write on papyrus scrolls. And so you wouldn't have a letter to look down at the bottom and see who it's from. So right off the bat, you would say who it's from and who it's to. So we, right there we know this is from James. And it tells us his title, a servant of God, a servant of the Lord. Now, it's amazing that he says this. It's fascinating to me that James, that's his intro, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's fascinating because what he does not tell us. He's introducing himself, and that's the title he uses. We're going to find out why that's interesting here in a minute, but the word he, he calls himself here, the, he self-identifies as, as a servant, which is the word doulas. And doulas is used um, throughout the New Testament. It's a very important word. In fact, in Luke 1, 38, Mary says this to the angel. She says, I am the Lord's doulas. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Jesus uses this word as often in his parables. And in fact, in the famous passage in Matthew 25, 21, Jesus says, well done, good and faithful doulas. This is a word of, of a servant of someone. And James identifies this as this. He says, I am a servant. I am a doulas of God and of Jesus. He, a doulas is somebody who's, who's not forced into servanthood, but who chooses it. And James says, I, this is who I am. There's more to the story, and what James doesn't tell us about himself is shocking. Now, what do we do know? James was one of the first and foremost leaders of the movement of Jesus after Jesus ascended. When Jesus died and resurrected and ascended, he was perhaps the first pastor of a Christian church that Peter planted. You see, Peter fled Jerusalem from Herod Agrippa, who was trying to kill him. And he left the church there in Jerusalem in the care of of James. And James was the leader. They called it the way. They didn't call it Christianity. They called it simply the way. And so he was the leader of the church there in Jerusalem, the way. He was wise and he was just. He was known as being just. He's named James the Just in some other places. He's an important figure. And Paul speaks of James often in his travels. And he talks about the decisions that James had to make and the wisdom that James has and the voice that James speaks with, the authority he has. James, a, a doulas, a servant of God, writes the letter that we're going to study over the next few months. Leader of the Church of Jerusalem, but there's more. 
But wait, there's more. Galatians 1, Paul tells us that after his conversion to Jesus, he went to Jerusalem, and there he met Peter, and then he saw James. Don't give it away too early, Steve. So Galatians 1.19 says this. He gives us a tidbit about James that now you all know. It says um, that James is the brother of Jesus. So, so James, who is just, just a servant of God and a servant of Jesus, is actually the what? The brother. Paul lets us know that James, the author of this ancient text, is the little brother of Jesus the Messiah, which we have to pause and consider. Can you imagine being Jesus' little brother? I mean, you thought your older brother or sibling was hard to live up to. Can you imagine what it would be like to grow up with the Son of God, the Messiah, who committed no sin, who brought home all A's and all satisfactory pluses on his uh, you know, attendance and his behavior? But see, James knew Jesus in a way others did not. Jesus was born of God and Mary and raised by Joseph. James was the son of Mary and Joseph and raised alongside of Jesus. He, he played with Jesus. James probably saw Jesus hurt, fall down, cry. Jesus probably comforted James when James fell down. They probably raced in the streets. He ate with Jesus. He apprenticed next, he apprenticed next to Jesus. And I know little brothers look up to their big brothers often. I cannot imagine being the little brother of Jesus. And it's an incredible thought. And so, um, again, we spared no expense, and I brought in a speaker to, to kind of Show us what it would be like to be the little brother of Jesus. Isn't it incredible that James starts off his writings with title, is a servant of God and a servant of Jesus, a servant of his big brother. I mean, in his heart, he identifies as a doulist. In his heart of hearts, he identifies as a servant of God and Jesus, much more than he identifies as a little brother of Jesus. You'd think that he'd use his full title. I mean, if you're going to write a letter that would go out to everyone and give them insight and wisdom, you would use every title you have. Like, I actually looked up Prince Harry's title. If Prince Harry is going to write a, a letter to everybody to go out to the 12 tribes and everybody and give them instruction, he would sign it like this. His Royal Highness, Sir Prince Harry Char Henry Charles Albert David of Wales, the Duke of Sussex, the Earl of Dumbarton, the Baron of Kilkeel, son of Prince Charles, Prince of Wales, son of... Princess Diana, Princess of Wales, brother of Prince William, the Duke of Cambridge. And then you would start writing your letter with all the titles and authority and everybody would know to listen. I mean, if I was James, I would say, um, I am James from Nazareth, son of Mary, mother of our Lord, son of Joseph, Joseph, adopted father of our Savior, brother of Jesus Christ, Savior of the world. And now that I have your attention, here's a letter for you. But he doesn't use any of it. He doesn't. You see, deep in his heart, James is more affiliated with Jesus as Savior than brother. And that's important. And it's going to be important to see how he makes the shift throughout his life. You see, he knows there's a greater authority than being the little brother of Jesus. And that's being a doulas, a servant of Jesus. He knows that knowing Jesus as, as Savior far outweighs knowing Jesus as brother. Because only one of those gives you eternal life. So back to our first verse, James, a servant of God and a servant of of Lord Jesus Christ. But there's more to this. You see, when you start to understand the arc of James' life, from child through his life to adult, it's astonishing that James is even putting pen to papyrus to write this. It's incredible that he even knows to, has, he can even write these things. Why? And it, it, because of this. James was not a believer in Jesus 
during Jesus' time on earth. He didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't believe he was the Savior. Quite the opposite. It's hard to understand, but if my brother starts making claims about his divinity, <laughs> if your brother starts saying, I think I'm the Messiah, you're like, are you kidding me, dude? <laughs> I know you. And James knew his brother. Of course his brother was special and loving and peaceful and kind, but, but the Son of God, the Messiah, surely, oh yeah, he might be blessed by God. I saw him perform some, some miracles and there's no one like him. His wisdom as we grew up and his care. But, but the one prophesied in the Old Testament babysat me? Come on, it can't be true. I mean, you could see how this would stretch him. He didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was. In fact, at one point, James was a part of a family intervention to stop Jesus' ministry. Did you know about this? This is just some Jerry Springer stuff, okay? In Mark 3, Jesus has performed many miracles and he has his 12 disciples and he prays over them and he grants them power to go preach and, and to cast out evil spirits and heal and the family gets wind of this and catch this verse in Mark 3, 21. When his family heard about what Jesus was doing, they went to take charge of him for they said, he is out of his mind. This is James. This is the family. They went to take charge, have an intervention they didn't think he was the Messiah. Great guy, yes. Step further in John 7, 5, his brothers challenged Jesus and it says, even his own brothers did not believe in Jesus. James had an intervention. He didn't believe Jesus was, was who he says he was. James grew up with a big brother who, who did all these amazing things and embodied all these amazing attributes and virtues. But a public ministry traveling around saying you're a rabbi who can interpret scripture and that God's speaking to you and that you knew Moses and that you're gonna destroy the temple and that you're the, you're the son of God. Come, are you serious? He watched his brother's life. He watched his big brother's life and ministry and he didn't take part in it. He held to this conviction. James held to this conviction that Jesus was not who he said he was, but then he held on to his mom while they watched Jesus be arrested. And then James heard that his big brother, who as far as he had known had done no wrong to anyone, was violently beaten. And the next thing James sees about his big brother is he's staggering down the street, holding a piece of wood, groaning under the weight of it as the crowd spit at him and mock him. He sees his big brother bloody and bruised and beaten. Now, James didn't believe his brother was the Messiah, but he did not believe his brother deserved this. And then James watched in horror as his big brother was raised up onto a cross. And he covered his eyes as the, the guard shoved a spear into his brother's heart and blood and water poured out. And he held his mother throughout the weekend as they mourned. The whole family mourned. And perhaps this is why James tried to intervene. Because you can't go around proclaiming yourself the king of heaven and expect the kings of earth to do nothing. Maybe this is the very reason that he tried to stop it. He loved his brother. He didn't believe his brother. But he knew his brother didn't deserve this end. It was sad. It was heartbreaking to watch such, such a wise and loving person come to such a violent and humiliating end. But James was no follower and no believer in Jesus. So how then did James's words get written in this book? How do we go from a James who tries to intervene into his brother's ministry 
to writing a book about his brother's ministry. How did James turn from someone who at one point tried to stop the whole thing to being a leader in the first church? How did he go from being someone who publicly denied his brother's divinity to writing a book about it? Something happened to James that struck him to his core, that touched him deeply. In fact, we learn that James was later martyred for his faith. He died for it. James, who had once bowed his head in horror at watching his brother crucified, would later bow his head in honor as he gave up his life for his brother's sake. How did this happen? When we read the book of James, we have to see who the man is and, and, and what he's been through. How did it happen? How did he make this change? Well, the answer is actually in this book. You see, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And he gives us insight in 1 Corinthians 15 about where Jesus went after his resurrection and who he appeared to. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, Paul writes, and he adds a tiny tidbit in there. It says, Then the resurrected Jesus appeared to James. <laughs> James is mourning. He's saddened by all that he's just saw. He's visited by his brother, Jesus. The Jesus who he played with as a kid. The Jesus who he looked up to throughout his youth. The Jesus that he had cried with. And the Jesus he had laughed with. The Jesus whom he marveled at when he did things that no one could do. The Jesus he tried to silence when he declared his ministry. The Jesus he distanced himself from. The Jesus he saw lifted on a cross. And the Jesus he saw pierced with a spear. The Jesus he saw removed and buried. The Jesus whom he'd wept for the brother he was heartbroken for was suddenly standing there before him with scars, with open arms and a smile and loving words for his little brother. Listen, when someone tells you they're gonna die and come back to life, you, you, know, you avoid that person. When they do it, you listen to that person. <laughs> Something happened to James, and what happened is everything his brother said became true. He saw his brother killed, and his brother stood before him, resurrected and perfected. The resurrection of Jesus has the power to transform any life. Listen, the last person that would ever accept Jesus as Jesus Messiah would be a little brother, right? And we see this transformation happen and we know that Jesus visited him after his resurrection and, and the transformation, the change is staggering. James has a unique voice in the Bible because he knows Jesus in a way that others don't know him. But James, what I love about him, he doesn't use his blood ties to curry favor because James knows it's not his blood that's important. James knows it's the shed blood of Jesus that's most important. So he identifies with that first. From that holy visitation with his brother Jesus, James is a different person. The evidence of the resurrection is clear here in the life of James, who goes from disbeliever to leader. In fact, the historian Josephus tells us that James had a showdown with the religious court, the Sanhedrin, the very court that arrested his brother Jesus. He had a showdown with them. Eusebius tells us that James was killed, murdered, martyred, and that it launched a violent uprising in Jerusalem by people who'd come to love James the Just. Along with all those accounts, there's, there's one of the writings of Hegesippus who I want to read to us today. 
He records what happened to James on his last day. Let me paint the scene for you. It's the Hebrew holiday of Passover, the holiest of holy holidays. Hebrews by the hundreds of thousands and even millions make pilgrimage to Jerusalem. It's a beehive. It is busy as they get prepared for this high holiday of Passover to celebrate the Old Testament Passover lamb. It's been 60 some years since Jesus was crucified on this very day. And in that 60 years, the way, the movement of Jesus has only grown and so now, here we have in Jerusalem this melting pot of, of all these, these uh, Hebrews who come to celebrate the Old Testament Passover and these new people who come to celebrate the Passover of Jesus. Well, of course, the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees and scribes and Sanhedrin, they despise the way. They despise this new work of Jesus. They thought when they killed off Jesus, they killed the movement. But now they see it raising its ugly head and only growing in power Instead of one man and 12 disciples, it is tens and hundreds of thousands of people. Two groups packing the city. One celebrating Passover and the sacrificial lamb and the other celebrating Jesus as the sacrificial Passover lamb. James is a leader in this city and so they approach James with a tactic. Listen to the account of Hegesippus. The religious leaders came to James and said, we entreat you, restrain the people, for they have gone astray in their opinions about Jesus as if he were the Christ. We entreat you to persuade all who have come here for the day of Passover concerning Jesus. For we all listen to your persuasion since we as well as all people bear testimony that you are just and you show partiality to nobody. Do you therefore persuade the people not to entertain erroneous opinions concerning Jesus? For all the people and we as well listen to your persuasion. They challenge him. Take your stand, James, upon the summit of the temple, and from that elevated spot you may clearly be seen, and your words may be audible to all people. For in order to attend Passover, all tribes have congregated here, even the Gentiles. You see, the angered religious leaders, they, they challenged James, Jesus' brother, to stand on top of the highest place in the temple and, and, and to make it clear who Jesus is and who he's not. James stand up there and make it clear that Jesus is dead so this movement can die along with it. Now there's, there's drama in this moment. You know, James knows there's a, there's a lot at stake. James knows this isn't just a simple request for a persuasive speech. There's strong arming happening here. His very life and the movement might hang in the balance and he climbs up and, and he's helped up by the leaders and they stand behind him. And before him are all the many multitudes. And as he stands up there, they begin to look up and the murmurs spread through and the crowd is shushed and it spreads through. It's James, it's James. It's James the just, brother of Jesus. James looked behind him and he sees the leaders who'd killed his brother. He looks below him and he sees the people hungry for hope, hungry for Messiah. James was in a unique spot. Because like the men behind him, he had once denied Jesus. But like many below him, he now knew Jesus as Savior. Hegesippus says that James gives a bold testimony. And I think that means that with his full voice and power and passion, he speaks out and listen to his words recorded. He says this, the words of James. Christ himself sits in heaven at the right hand of God. 
and shall come again on the clouds of heaven. Hegesippus continues, angered the Pharisees and religious leaders say, let us throw him down that the people will be afraid and not believe him. So they threw him off the roof. And when he did not die, it says they began to stone him. James rolled over onto his knees and he said this, I ask you, Lord God, our Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That is not the words of a little brother copying his big brother. That's the words of a disciple who's speaking the words of his Savior. He's not being a little brother at this moment. He is praying from his spirit the same exact words that his Savior prayed over the exact same people. And James died. Hegesippus ends with this, and so James suffered martyrdom, and they buried him there, and a pillar was erected to remember him. This man was a true witness to both the Jews and the Greeks that Jesus was the Christ. And shortly after, Vespian besieged Judah, Judea and took them captive. You see, James was a skeptic. He had family that believed in Jesus. He had family that was Jesus, but he, he had seen too much. But the fact of a resurrected Savior changed everything for him. James reveals to us once again that, that the greatest thing Jesus do, did wasn't die. You know, people die. In fact, you know there's always that fifth dentist that never quite agrees with the other four? I polled him, and, and five out of five dentists all agree that people die we all die. But what sets Jesus apart is not just the way he died, but the fact that he rose again. And in James's spirit, in James's heart, in James' mind, when you see the resurrected Christ before you, it changes, it transforms everything. The miracle is that our Savior lives, not that he died, that he died and now he lives again. And when this happens, when you fully grasp the fact that Jesus died and rose again, it should, it should change you. It should change your perspective should change your priorities, your character. It should change the way you love. It should change the way you live. And I want to invite you to come with us on this journey through this book of James. The writings of this man are unique, flavored by the fact that he grew up with Jesus, and yet James' personality comes through in full force. And some of you are going to love it, and some of you are going to struggle with it. You see, because James doesn't preach about puppy dogs and butterflies. James gets out of there, and he gets in your face. James challenges. He's bold. He's blunt. He's clear. James inspires. He calls us. James would say, listen, I, it's awesome that you, you say you believe in Jesus, but at some point, that should change your life. It's great you identify that you, you go to church and you, you say that, that Jesus is, you're going to heaven someday, but that should change you. James would challenge us that on the other side of the gospel of Jesus, on the other side of Jesus dying and resurrecting and believing that is a transformed life. And that is what he calls us to. James gives us an invitation and a challenge to take our belief, no matter how small or big, whether your fire is blazing or whether it's kind of dimmed at the moment, to take whatever you have as your faith and begin to live it out. James lets us know that giving lip service about what you say you believe without walking it isn't what God called us to. James builds on his brother's teachings. He builds on his, his Savior's teachings. 
You see, the gospel means the good news. The good news of Jesus has great power, that Jesus died a perfect death. He was, a perfect, he was fully God, fully man. He died, he resurrected, and only through Jesus, the main thing, only through Jesus is there, is there salvation. He takes that and he builds upon this because he knows that that reality should change us. It should change our lives. It should change our hearts, our thoughts. It should change our marriages. It should change our parenting. It should change how we date and recreate. It should change all of us. It should change how we love God and how we love people. And this is the challenge that James gives us. In fact, in 2019, if any of you are here and you say, no, this is the year, I wanna grow. I wanna know more spiritually. I wanna dig in and, and know what this means. James is a great place to start. James calls us to maturity. Next week, you're gonna see right out of the gate, James calls us to, to maturity. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible. If you ever thought, there should be more to Christianity than what you're experiencing. This series is for you. If you've ever wondered why Christianity is so full of judgmental hypocrites, this is a great series for you. If you're here in 2019 and you, wanna, you want to sink in and grow, this series is for you. And I want to challenge you to make these Sundays a priority. That we gather together and as we work through James, we find that... Um, we find something beautiful and challenging that changes us. In fact, next year, I'm gonna look at, next year, next week, I'm gonna look at one verse that um, I wrote down every day for 15 years. It means the world to me. It's changed me. And I know many of you will, will, will nod when we get there that this has changed you as well. James is one of those books that calls us and challenges us. And as we close this and get to communion, I wanna remind you, communion is the symbol of the very selfless act of Jesus, that he would die and rise again. Now, if you're a guest here with us today, Oftentimes when it comes to communion, there's a class or something you must take. But Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. There's no class to take communion here. If you want to remember Jesus and his sacrifice and resurrection, then you're welcome to come up here and grab the, the symbol of his body and his blood and sit down. And as you sit there, I want you to remember that the symbols you hold are a representation of the miracle that transformed people like James and that has the power to transform you that there was a fully God, fully man who, who died on the cross, gave his life, and resurrected so that you can have access to the Father. So that you can love God and love people. Orchard, I'm excited about this series. This series challenges me already. And I want to encourage you if, to, to read along with us, read ahead of us. Read James 1 this week. Get in it and start to let it sink into your spirit. Let us sink into this book and see what God has for us. We will not be the same on the other side. Amen? Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for your little brother. Man, what a struggle that would have been, and what a privilege it would have been at the same time. We thank you for his voice. We thank you that the Spirit uh, wrote through him in an amazing way. I pray for all of us here, whether first time or you've been here for years, I pray, Father, you would call us to a deeper relationship with Jesus. Because God, at the end of the day, and at the end of 2019, we don't want to be better church people. No. We want to know you more. We want to be more like you. The goal is to transform. So I ask that you would hear our prayers today. I ask that as we sit here with the elements of sacrifice, that you would reveal to us once again how you changed James' life and how you want to change ours. In Jesus' name, amen.